Welcome to Nutrition Grad Guide. I'm your host, Shana Sapi, a qualified nutritionist and multi-passionate entrepreneur. I created this podcast to help nutrition grads just like you navigate your way into a career and a life that you love. In each episode, I'm going to bring you interviews with experts in the nutrition and health field, exploring a range of different career pathways. We'll learn about what they do, how they got there, and their advice to help you grow a successful career as a nutritionist or a natural health professional. Thank you for tuning in. This week on the podcast, I am joined by Dr. Susie Collis, who is a dietitian with a doctorate in biomedical science. She's an Ayurvedic practitioner, a yoga teacher. She is a counselor, an author, a health writer. She's released a book called The Art of Ayurvedic Nutrition. And reading about Susie's experience is just, it's incredible what she's achieved. And I'm so excited to learn from her today. So welcome, Susie. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Shana. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you. Yeah, it's so great to have you here. Let's get into it by talking a little bit about how you got started in the nutrition space, and then we'll talk about all the amazing things you've achieved since then. I guess usually our interest in food and nutrition begins in childhood, in in the family. Uh, I I mean, often anyway, and that is the case for me. I mean, I grew up with a mother who was extremely health conscious and very um into healthy food yep. sort of you know we had rivetas in the cupboard and if i was hungry it was go and have a nice big crunchy apple you know <laughs> so i think that became instilled in me um quite young um and then uh, actually my first degree was uh a bachelor of science in uh, human movement which is like phys ed I guess without the teaching degree but I was still very interested in nutrition uh, and, and always I think understood it as a fundamental aspect of health let's yeah. say so I actually after a few years probably my mid-20s went back and uh, studied chemistry and then biochemistry and then applied uh, for the Master of Nutrition and Dietetics. So that sort of began my uh, official, I guess, foray into nutrition and dietetics. Yeah, amazing. And so once you studied that first degree, what was your next step? So I studied that uh, in Melbourne at Deakin. And then during that time, actually, I met a guy and uh, he uh, wanted, he was a footballer, so he went to Adelaide to play with one of the, the teams over there and I followed him and my first job was at the Royal Adelaide Hospital, actually in food service, um, I guess because I was a few years older and I had sort of been in, I guess, minor management roles. Um, I was offered a food service position, which, I mean, I think... Uh, People often find food service, I don't know, a little scary maybe, or it's not a dietitian's favourite role. But I actually really enjoyed it and learnt a lot from it. And um, through there, uh, after a few months, some time, I then took on some clinical responsibilities as well. Uh, And then from there, perhaps, I don't know, 18 months, two years later, went to London Uh, for the second time. I I was actually born in London um, and I had travelled around there but then went back there and did some locum work at different uh, hospitals in the NHS which was really interesting and also um, started doing a little uh, renal uh, dietetics 
And then when I came back to Australia a few years later, I uh, took a job at the Alfred Hospital and was uh, working yeah, more in, in renal nutrition and other clinical areas as well. Yeah, interesting. Um, and so when you did your PhD, tell us a little bit about what you did that about and how that experience was for you. Yeah, so yeah, I had done, uh, been working clinically and then really just started um, feeling like I had some questions that I wanted to be able to answer. And, and I knew that, or I, I, I felt that research, learning research would be a great step. And I had also observed or became aware, I guess, at that time of the increasing problem with people gaining weight and uh, obesity and uh, all of the health consequences of that. So then, uh, I guess, as often happens, an opportunity came along which was based at the Alfred and working with a surgeon who uh, was doing lap band surgery. So working with people that were, you know, finding it very hard to lose weight uh, and were very overweight. Uh, and I was, uh, within the, the PhD uh, I, I mean, I was really given a blank uh, slate, which was both a, a good and a scary place to start uh, as a new researcher. And so what I looked into was the dietary, behavioural, psychological aspects of people coming for surgery and also people after surgery and particularly how that affected their, I guess, what you would call success of the surgery Primarily, that's weight loss, I guess, particularly from a surgical perspective. But I was looking more broadly, again, at what they were eating, their mood, levels of well-being, different behaviours, different eating patterns and psychology. So that was a, a very intense three and a half or four years, but it was great, a wonderful learning curve. And I was also, of course, I was working closely with the patients or people that were coming for surgery who were also my subjects. And it was around that time I really, I mean, I'd been working with people clinically for a long time, but really began to appreciate the level of, I guess, uh, you know, trauma often involved with having health issues that you're really struggling with, battling with. In this case, obesity, but also a lot of accompanying issues. And it was at that point I felt like I really want to, uh, I guess I became interested in writing the book uh, as a starting point, yeah. Yeah, so did you have your book idea around that time or did that come later? The idea for the book came around then, but how the book actually, the content of the book came later. Yeah. <laughs> um, at that time I hadn't come across Ayurveda, I hadn't started um, my journey down that path at all. I was still very much in the Western nutritional mindset and model. And actually, by the time I finished my PhD, I was feeling uh, quite disgruntled. I was exhausted. I didn't feel like I'd answered many questions at all, actually. And even though I had a few offers of different postdocs, 
what I actually ended up doing at that point in my life was going to Africa for two years <laughs> and uh, taking a position with uh, Australian Volunteers International, which is funded by the Australian government. And I worked in Swaziland there, which is a little country just on the border of, or in South Africa, really, and it borders Mozambique. And I worked in a, an NGO there for women's health. And yeah, so that was a, a wonderful wonderful experience and something completely different and actually it was while I was in Swaziland on a trip to uh, Uganda that I met my now husband Diggy who is an Indian man uh, who was born and grew up in the northeast of India so yeah (laughs) yeah what an adventure it sounds absolutely incredible you would have learned so much while you were over there in Africa as well and obviously prior to that too but completely different um yeah it would have been completely different to your prior experience yeah I, I I mean I've always been an avid traveler so in between I've always sort of been backpacking here and there so yeah but the experience in Africa yeah it was very rich and actually I had been to Africa maybe I don't know eight or ten years before that as well so I'd wanted to go back so after after Africa which, yeah, was a very obviously cross-cultural experience. I, we, we came and, uh, to India for a short time, maybe six to nine months in Delhi. Yeah. And that was living in Delhi. I don't know, some people may have visited the big cities in India, but they're crazy, hectic. <laughs> um, and I just, yeah, was really challenged by that. And then actually came an offer to uh, lecture into a new Master of Nutrition and Dietetics course at the University of South Australia. So it felt sort of like time perhaps to go back to Oz. And obviously I'd finished a PhD but not really been engaged in research. Or I was actually doing a little bit while I was in Delhi working with some doctors there, which was great. Yeah. But um, came back and worked as a lecturer for a year, which was, again, a huge learning experience. And also because we were starting a new course, it was a huge amount of work involved. But again, very rich. And I really, I think, got a good foundation in the, the sociological uh, and also more in the psychological aspects of food and nutrition and eating behaviour. Yeah. And then from there, I... <laughs> obviously have a very short attention span. Um, I a job um, or a, a postdoc position uh, with Menzies up in Darwin and that was working in Aboriginal health and I was working particularly in a community in a small island off the top end called Gullawinkle uh, with a, a wonderful Aboriginal woman, uh, Lodapa, was my co-researcher and we were looking at different aspects of food and nutrition uh, among in the space of not only uh, Aboriginal nutrition and, and health, but then also how people such as ourselves, so health workers, can work in that space uh, yeah. around food and nutrition. Uh, and out of that came, a, I guess, a guide called Food Across Cultures, which I can give you the link to if you would like to include it in the notes. Yeah, that's um, available for 
free online through Menzies. So that was wonderful, um, although really challenging, but um, a great experience. And from there, we then came, we decided let's go and live in India for a bit, but not in the cities. Let's go somewhere uh, a little more quiet and uh, earthy. And, and actually we went to Manali, which is in the Himalaya, up in the north of India. And we lived there for four years. Uh, and it was pretty much as soon as I got to India that I knew that I was going to start looking into Ayurveda, yeah. the traditional healing system of India. And so that was about eight years ago now. Incredible. So many cool things. I love that it shows all the opportunities for international roles and learning from different cultures as well. Like all, everything you would have learned would just be so rich in that cultural history and different approaches. And now I'm sure as you've learned all the Ayurveda, you're just enhancing your knowledge so much. And I suppose it's almost like layering, like you were layering it with the Western perspective, then you had that Aboriginal perspective, then the Ayurvedic perspective. Just, yeah, so incredible. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, food, everyone eats. Food is so multifaceted and it's so many different things to different people. Of course, the Western nutritional model is one facet of that, one idea. It is only that, really. It's just a perspective. Uh, and we have to remember that, I think, working with food, because there are so many ways to approach it, not only in, in counselling and working within different cultures, across the board, behaviourally, psychologically, environmentally, of course, the sustainability of different eating patterns and uh, foods at the moment is, you know, a growing area that really needs to be included in our ideas and work in the food space as well. Absolutely, yeah. So now let's talk a little bit about how you started learning about Ayurveda and I guess the um, difference between Western nutrition and Ayurvedic nutrition. Yeah, so... As I said, Ayurveda is the traditional healing system of India. Yep. I guess when you bring something into your life and you, and you start looking into it, then you notice it more. But So I do see that it's sort of the idea of Ayurveda, the concept, the practice is out there a little more in the Western thought now, uh, although many people may not have come across it at all. So in, the, in, in regards, I guess, as a small comparison to Western nutrition, and I mean, Western nutrition is a very large area as well, depending where you are. So yeah. it's hard to sort of say, make a direct comparison. But I guess, well, let me just say first that Ayurveda has three main therapies within its umbrella as a healing system. Uh, and one is food. Uh, the second is lifestyle, which is called dinacharya or the daily routine. And then the third, the medical approaches, which have a broad range of medical treatments or, or um, therapies and yeah, specific areas. So psychology, gynecology, uh, childhood diseases. So there's uh, eight main areas there. And, and often in, in the, uh, as therapeutics, herbs are used. So, uh, and also oils are another aspect of the medical approach. Yeah. So, I mean, it's sort of, there's, it, it is a whole medical system similar to the Western medical system in that regard. Its view of food, however, is very different in, or the main differences, let's say, are that while Western science has had access to test tubes and microscopes and 
and actually started pulling foods apart into macronutrients and micronutrients and calories and really deconstructing in a way foods which then of course allows the food manufacturers to reconstruct them however they want Ayurveda has always dealt with whole foods. I mean, of course, the food system was very different 5,000 plus years ago when Ayurveda came to light. Of course, it's going to be that way. But also, instead of deconstructing food, and really I see it as putting the power in the hands of food manufacturers and scientists and nutritionists, dietitians, to say that, yes, I understand food, but the consumer finds it difficult to really understand food unless they have a deep understanding of different nutrients or, of course, you know, reading nutrition panels and uh, ingredients lists gives some idea, but it's, it's, uh, it's more conceptual. It's not really tangible. The way Ayurveda views food is through its qualities in particular, and also the qualities come from the elements that are in the food. So Ayurveda sees five great qualities of Mother Nature, and these qualities uh, exist not only in the planet, in, the, in the, the living world, also, of course, in the foods that we eat and also in the human human system. So these are fundamental qualities of earth, water, fire, air and ether. And these qualities, which are in, as I said, all all living things, uh, however, exist in slightly different combinations and permutations. Mm -hmm. And the, the elements have their own qualities that they bring. And so it's looking at the qualities, the elements and the qualities of foods that are often we can see them, we can taste them, we can smell them, we can feel them in our own body, what elements are in us and also what elements and qualities the foods are introducing into us. So it's a more hands-on, tangible system. And then in regards to, I guess, using food as medicine, by understanding the five elements in us, and Ayurveda sees this as the dosha, if you've heard of dosha, and we can talk about the three main dosha in a moment. But we understand by observing ourselves and I guess through an Ayurvedic practitioner or reading and just working with ourselves more on, on this platform, we can understand the elements in us. And then when we're choosing foods, we can choose foods that naturally complement what elements are in us. If I'm high in the air element, for example, which is dry and light and subtle, I'll want to choose foods that are moistening and warming and heavier to bring in the opposite qualities to help balance that high air quality, for example. Yeah, cool. That's quite fascinating. So when you were learning about this, how did you go about it? Are there lots of courses over there in India or what was your process of discovering it? First of all, I was lucky to be living near an Ayurvedic practitioner in in the Himalaya there. So I spent began spending time with him and reading a lot of books. There are some key Western Ayurvedic teachers at the moment who have got some good books. Vasant Lab, David Frawley and Robert Svoboda would be the main guys and also Claudia Welch has been another very significant teacher for me, an American woman. 
And then I, because I was sort of up in the Himalaya and we were living two kilometres from the nearest road up at sort of two and a half thousand metres, there wasn't a, a community that I, or a teacher, another teacher I could re- readily get to. So I actually looked online and found another wonderful teacher, Atreya Smith, who's actually a, well, he was born in America, but he's now in France and Switzerland. And I studied with him online for three years. Um, and I also, during that time, studied with uh, other teachers in India, Dr. Sunil Joshi and other teachers in uh, Kerala. And really, well, really, I see I've had hundreds, probably thousands of teachers throughout my life in different areas. And it's sort of the same for Ayurveda. You can spend a, a week or two with different teachers and have a, an extended relationship as well. There's many people, teachers that I can still contact and be, uh, you know, ask questions. And really, I, I think like anything, I'm continuing to learn of course once becoming a practitioner and working with people every client that you have really is teaching you something as well and now just talking about Ayurveda speaking with people such as yourselves and just continuing through the different contacts I make I mean during this COVID time particularly online as well there's thousands and thousands I would say practitioners around the world the majority in India and forming a relationship with those people as well is very rich so yeah I mean there's there's lots of opportunities there's particularly a lot of online courses that have come out at the moment um, through the teachers that I mentioned and other teachers um, and they're really great opportunities to learn the, the basics the fundamentals and to, to start I mean the most important yeah, one of the most important ways that I learned about Ayurveda was through my own body, my own experience, mm. really embodying the ideas, the concepts in, into my life, into my own experience, into every um, facet of my day, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mentioned that the lifestyle or dinacharya daily routine is one of the aspects of the therapies and so that is really incorporating ideas from Ayurveda not only into the three meals but really I mean from the time I get up in the morning uh, until I the time I finish my breakfast is about four hours and in that time I'm the main part of what I call my daily routine where I'm doing different Ayurvedic practices scraping the tongue taking herbs, I have quite a long yoga practice, meditation, Uh, making my breakfast itself is a ritual. So all of these, yeah, are really the whole, you know, lifestyle package that Ayurveda can provide for those that are really wanting to embrace the lifestyle. Yeah, Yeah, I love that. It's that whole holistic perspective. So tell us, what does your your work look like at the moment? Are you seeing clients one-on-one or how are you combining your Ayurvedic knowledge with your nutrition knowledge and all that experience you've gained over the years? So at the moment, my, I mean, I'm in Well, actually, India is slowly opening up again, but, I mean, we've really been in lockdown for however many months, six months, is it? I don't know. I mean, because we already lived quite a simple life, so we lived for four or five years in the Himalaya, and for the last few years we've been in Tamil Nadu, which is in the south, living in the hills, in a hill station there. Beautiful. Called uh, Kodai Canal. And we kind of live... uh, 
in a rural area, maybe eight, ten kilometres out of town. Yep. So, and we live in a little cottage, simple life. So our life really hasn't changed that much with lockdown. I, of course, having uh, just had the book released, I've been spending or was spending a lot of time uh, writing. So, I mean, what my days look like at the moment, if I have clients, I try to uh, schedule them in the morning, which is just a, a fresher time for me, better time for counselling. Yep. And then I'm posting a weekly blog at the moment on lots of different aspects of, I guess, what we're talking about today or from my past. And also that includes yoga and Vedic psychology as well. Um, so I'm, I'm still doing a lot of writing, I guess, communicating with people such as yourself. Yep. And I mean, cooking is all, always a big part of the day, you know, and just getting out in nature. Uh, it's monsoon here at the moment, but trying to get a walk in every day when I when I eat my breakfast I like to sit outside take my shoes off get my feet on mother earth and I uh, just enjoy the the trees and the life around me so I mean it's yeah I guess that's my main focus at the moment just to work yes with some individuals but also to communicate via words and yeah just to be the best person I can be as well through my own practices of yoga and meditation which are a very important part of my day as well yeah sounds like a beautiful balance and tell us about the process of writing a book I imagine there would have been a lot involved so how long did something like that take and how did you dedicate the time to it and yeah get it through to completion Mm, yes, well, I mean, I guess I'd, I'd already written a PhD thesis, which is, you know, anyone that's written any thesis, uh, whether it's honours, masters or whatever, it's, yeah, I mean, you at one point you think it'll never be done, but then somehow it comes to completion. And the book was, I mean, I didn't start with a concrete plan. I mean, I knew it was going to be on Ayurvedic nutrition as soon as I started studying and I really went in deep to that. But I would say the process of writing for me was also the process of consolidating what I had learned and actually creating more learning, really in more questions, working through new questions that I had, things that I suddenly thought, oh, yeah, I don't know about that. And then while working with clients and observing myself, being able to really look into and um, yeah, come to new understandings about aspects of food and yeah, nutrition, Ayurveda, and, and then put it being able to put that into the book. I mean, the whole process of writing it, yeah, it was probably, you know, three or four years. I mean, initially I wanted to put way too much into it and so it was really pairing back, refining my thoughts. I mean, as it stands now, it's still, I think, got probably too much in there. It's quite a, there's a lot, a lot of uh, different subjects in there, but I really wanted to cover the idea broadly, but also quite narrowly, so really giving good practical advice yeah. so and of course in that process then is beginning to look for a publisher and all of those less fun aspects of getting a book out there but it all came together and uh yeah it was finally published in june this year so yeah. amazing so did you get it published or did you self-publish 
No, I found a publisher. Incredible. A New York-based uh, publisher called Skyhorse Publishings. Yeah, yeah I, um, at one point, and I guess, well, I find my best decisions in life, let's say, are made more through the heart than the head. And, um, yeah, what I kind of without over-conceptualising it. I just felt like, look, I'll find some publishers around the world that accept proposals straight from a, the author. So I sent it out to seven or eight publishing houses and, yeah, thankfully one accepted. So it wasn't too arduous a task. Although, you know, writing a book proposal, it's sort of a 50-page proposal. So wow. <laughs> I mean, everything is, yeah, quite a lot of work. But, I mean, of course, even the process of writing that proposal was really another draft of the book. And that's how I'm not one of those people that can you know, in writing an essay or a blog or a book, anything can just belt out one draft and it's great. I work draft after draft after draft. That's just my method. So, yeah, it's all just sort of a learning for me. I, I don't have a good memory. Uh, I really need to embody my learning to own it, to fully understand it and to be able to work with it. So for me, that entails commitment and repetition and clear observation and questioning and more work and repetition. <laughs> Yeah, that's great to really uh, cement that knowledge and make sure you really are embodying it makes sense. So when you were doing the book proposal, was that something that the publishers provided you with? Like what their no. experience? Like how did you no. figure out what to do for a book proposal um, and mm. go about sending that off? Yeah, no, if you, I guess if you're looking at publishers, for example, uh, they'll all have slightly different ideas or requests for what they want yep. for a prospective author to provide them with. Yep. So or even if you're looking for an agent, an agent will probably want a book proposal as well. And it depends, I guess, what type of book you're writing. But as this was a non-fiction, to be honest, I can't remember how specific Skyhorse were with what they wanted. But, I mean, generally they all want similar things. You know, you've got to have a, a synopsis and then a, a bio and then position your book in the market and then how it would be marketed and then often one or two or three sample chapters and then a full talk through of, of each chapter and just a small blurb on what you see will be in that chapter, yep. um, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, I mean, I doing that process, I guess, again, I just got online and sort of, you know, looked up what is a book proposal and, and then just sort of started from there as well and then tailored it to each of the different publishers so yeah I think when you're working in that space yes you want to have some guidelines but you need to put your own put yourself into it and be a little unique and provide what people want to read but also you know make it something that stands out a little bit and has some uniqueness to it which is going to be uh, of interest you know out there yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting to hear that different publishers ask for different things. It's Yeah, it would be a lot of work to send out all those proposals. So well done and congratulations on getting that out into the world. Do they help with the marketing side of things or is that something you do all on your own and how do you get the book in front of more people? Um, I mean, ideally, publishers do also take some responsibility for the marketing 
Yep. Um, unfortunately, my publishers aren't really <laughs> in that frame of mind. And also because they're based in America, you know, their main focus is the American audience. Um, yep. But having said that, I mean, it was, you know, it's not a great time to be probably publishing a book and many bookshops, for example, are probably not even open. But yeah, like they really haven't been useful in that way at all. I mean, prior to publishing the book, I would describe my last probably seven years as being quite reclusive in a way. I haven't been on social media much at all. I mean, if I opened my Facebook page, that was sort of a monthly or every two or three months. I was just sort of a bit of email, a bit of text and just with, you know, family and friends. So having published the book, uh, then sort of starting a new chapter in my life, I would say, to get myself out there a little more, bring my LinkedIn account from seven people up to almost, you know, around 2,000 now. <laughs> I haven't ventured on, onto Instagram yet, but I'm thinking about it and I'm sort of dipping my toe in Twitter. But these are all things that are fairly new to me and not really what I'm innately interested in, but I understand that it is important. But I do also feel increasingly passionate about talking about Ayurveda, sharing it with people, and this is the way to do it. Uh, and also through the book, of course. The book is, is now there and it will, I think, take on its own life. I can only do so much and, and I think if I get too caught up in how many reviews it has and how many copies are sold, you know, I think that's all uh, details I don't really need to get bogged down in. So um, it's out there and I, and I do want to support it, but I'm probably, you know, more interested in just... Uh, working with people and talking about uh, Ayurveda, helping people understand themselves in different ways and better, understand the food that they eat in different ways and to ultimately, you know, live a balanced, happy life. Yeah, so brilliant and important. And when it does come to finding those one-on-one -on -one clients, how do you go about that? Is that mostly through your website or, um, yeah, do you have a marketing strategy from that perspective? Yeah, no, I'm not really the one to talk to you about marketing strategies. I'm sure I could learn a lot from you. <laughs> um, I put the website together uh, earlier this year before the book came out. Um, and so, yeah, people are increasingly finding me through the website, I think through my blog, coming across the blog, through, you know, friends of friends. I mean, lots of different ways, really. I don't, you know, I, I mean, I probably should ask people how they found me. I mean, often I know, but yeah, it's just, you know, different ways. And I guess also... I feel that, I mean, I want to be uh, here as a resource and to help people, but they need to come to me. I don't want to go to them. I don't want to talk people into something that they're not interested or ready for. Mm -hmm. um, that's not how Ayurveda works, really. It's You've got to be personally motivated, take responsibility for your own self-knowledge or taking on the knowledge, embodying that, your self-healing. I think that's an important idea in Ayurveda 
And because it is a holistic therapy, uh, I mean, and not that you have to do everything at all, but it's all there if you want it. And to make dietary change, uh, as you would know, is it can be a big thing. It's a difficult ask for people. Yeah. So, you know, there's change in diet, potentially change in lifestyle, potentially change in the way that you view the world. People have to be ready for these, these changes in their own life or want them in, in some way. It's no good trying to, um, you know, put things on people that they're not interested in or ready for. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have any tips for fellow nutritionists or natural health practitioners that are interested in learning more about Ayurveda and incorporating that into their jobs and their careers? Yeah. So, well, I mean, I I guess it all begins with just increasing your knowledge for dietitians, nutritionists, anyone interested in learning more about the nutritional aspect of food. I mean, sorry to be giving a self-plug here, but uh, I'd like to think that you could read The Art of Ayurvedic Nutrition, which is the name of my book, and, you know, get a good, well-rounded view of of Ayurveda, of the three dosha, uh, of the qualities and the way that food is used, and a lot of different aspects of food in the Ayurvedic realm, which sort of very much includes working with the digestive fires, And I guess that's another aspect. I mean, Ayurveda understands that if you can't digest food, you can't use food. And it places a lot of importance on the strength of digestion. And also if there's undigested toxins in the system, the large impact that has on health. So, you know, a lot of cleansing therapies as well. Embracing Mother Nature and working with cycles and seasons is another important aspect. Uh, I mean, there's lots different, but yeah, so I think, you know, getting a good holistic perspective. So my book focuses on food, but is quite holistic. And then there are quite a few other books on Ayurveda as well. Um, And as I mentioned, the authors that I was reading earlier, if you just sort of have a look there, you'll see that yeah, there's some good sort of basic texts that will give a lot of background knowledge. And as I said, there's a lot of online courses, which are, I mean, you know, mine was, I had a, you know, a live lecture with my teacher weekly. And so, yeah, you know, as you know, you can still get a good, at least theoretical knowledge. And then, of course, you need to apply that knowledge in your own life and if you're working with people you can begin to incorporate it into the work that you're doing yeah amazing that's all great and it seems like a great place to start and Ayurveda does certainly seem like it would be beneficial adding that extra layer as we were talking about earlier to sort of help um, with the treatment and there's obviously so much nutrition can do and there's also so many ways that Ayurveda can help to enhance our clients experiences yeah 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 absolutely um so this has been so interesting and insightful and i'm definitely going to go read up on your book after this um but do you have any parting words of advice or wisdom for the listeners in regards to building a successful career um, and really making the most of being in this amazing industry goodness I mean, uh, I guess the the advice that comes to my mind is not really specific to the nutrition space, but as a general piece of advice, I would just say to people to follow their heart. (laughs) Um, 
I mean, dietitians in particular, uh, I know, are quite, I guess, quite in, the, in their mind, you know. Uh, I guess we've been called pea counters before um, <laughs> and can be quite analytical and theoretical. And, of course, then in your own life, we can think that we want to be doing a certain thing and have it in our mind. I want that job. I want... But, of course, by conceiving what we want in a concrete form, we're kind of limiting what we can be and what we can do as well. So I guess, yeah, my advice would be just to to have, have some broad goals and values that you adhere to in your life, but to really listen to what your heart is telling you to do, what, what really makes you happy, what feels intrinsic to you and to to follow that guidance as well yeah that's so so important i love that Um, and where can the listeners find you and check out your book and learn more from you and all the amazing things you're putting out into the world okay well i guess the most comprehensive place to start would be through my website which is suzypollis.com yeah i guess i talk about the different approaches that i am using in my sort of healing strategy and also my blog is there there's some information about my book um, under the resources tab Um, and you can more than welcome to get in contact with me through the site and yeah the the book um, The Art of Ayurvedic Nutrition is also available on Amazon and I think in Australia through Booktopia Quite a few people have been buying it through there and other, yeah, I guess around the traps and I'm not really sure about bookstores. And, yeah, I guess, uh, as I said, yeah, the website would be a good place to start and, yeah, anyone's welcome to get in touch. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing experience with us today. It's been so interesting hearing from you um, and, yeah, it's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you. It's yeah, it's been a great pleasure to be able to uh, talk with you and your audience. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I feel like I gained so much valuable insight and advice from it, and I hope you agree. If you did enjoy this episode, please leave me a review and tell me what you think. I would love to hear your feedback. Do you know anyone else that this episode can benefit? I would be so grateful if you share it with them. That way, they too can benefit from all of the insight that we covered today. Your support means so much to me, and together we can help even more people build a career and a life that they love. Thank you for being here. Until next time, keep making your dreams a reality.